Culture Podcast. I'm Bethan Grills and as always I'm joined by my co-hosts Gwen Riddler and William Dodds. How are you both? I'm good thanks Beth. Never better. Oh wonderful. <laughs> we are sat in the office on a very dark grisly typically English winter uh, afternoon recording this and as we are in December we thought what a better episode to record than an end of the year roundup. So what we've done is we've gathered our favorite stories of the year and we're going to have a we're going to have a bit of a chat, a bit of discussion around them aren't we guys? Yeah, absolutely. I mean I only joined midway through the year so i'm just kind of looking july until december but uh i know that you two have got some really interesting stories from uh, before i even arrived so i'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about it that's no excuse yeah <laughs> you should have an encyclopedic knowledge of everything that ever happened in the food and drink industry for the past 10 years <laughs> all right so who wants to go first do we do we how do we work this out do we flip a coin there's three of us what what do we do um I I think uh, you should go first, Beth, as the editor. You don't want to do some rock, paper, scissors? No. I guess it wouldn't work for a podcast, right? Yeah, visualise in your mind's eye. All right, all right. I will... Uh, Gwen, are you happy for that? you happy for me to go first? Oh, extremely happy. Okay, well, if I may. So one of the key stories for me that I'd like to flag was a visit I did earlier in the year to CCEP's um, Edmonton manufacturing site um, where I met with Mo. Mo's a wheelchair user and he's also the um, Coca-Cola GB ambassador basically for inclusivity. So he spoke to me around the challenges that he's faced working in the manufacturing environment um, with someone who has a disability and it was a real eye-opener. So we spoke about his career. He basically said how he's helped Coca-Cola adapt their uh, facilities to make it more accessible but also he looks at other kind of inclusivity areas as well so he'll look at things like how we can be more inclusive for people that are on the spectrum so certain colours within the environment and it was just an incredible honest interview and it was just something that I never really considered actually you know one of the things Mo said to me was in manufacturing facilities when you see you know them on tv they are absolutely littered with stairs and it's just you know it's not something I I as I said I ever sort of thought about and he talked to me about sort of some of the things that he's been doing to help coke get more equipped for disabled workers so one of the things that he did was um, get the site audited by an external partner and from there they formulated a plan to make it more accessible and he said it was basically all kind of about baby steps and with the initial focus on making sure he was safe on site when he started and then widening the scope to address other issues yeah it was just it was a really really incredible time and i'm really grateful for mo for his his honesty yeah, no, it's a great story and it's great to hear the amount of work that's being put in to cater for both able and, and um, disabled people. It's great when businesses are creating equity between their the people that work there, that they're giving everyone the same chance. It's to make it so that everyone's on an even playing field. And it's good to see such a, a big company because, and it's something we've mentioned in the past, when a larger business does something like this, it makes small businesses pay attention and think maybe that's something that I should be doing. And they, you know, CCEP 
are leading by example in that. Yeah, I actually had, I, I won't name names, but I actually had a construction company um, say to me, they read this and they got so excited about it that they, they they rang up the team and said, we need to start thinking about this from from the build. And I think that's in, in terms of a, a lot of facilities, all of these facilities are old facilities, so they need to be retrofitted. But I don't think it's ever really considered from my conversation with Mo, when we do build facilities that we do need to build them with inclusivity, inclusivity in mind. I mean, some of the oversights that Mo flagged that are often made um, are within the structure itself. So for instance, the door width, it might also be things like the opening of the doors. And some of these things can actually help improve safety as well. So Mo was saying about sort of the, the buttons that you can press, it limits the amount of touch points that you, or the length of time that you're touching a door, which obviously would remove risk of con cross contamination and things like that. So there's actually some really, you know, it's not just benefiting your workplace, but it's also benefiting um, areas of safety as well in some respects. But yeah, it was just, it was a lovely story. And, and it's obviously, you know, it's evident that Coke have been really, really great great to Mo as well because he sort of said you know the strong leadership there helped him gain what he described as the voice of courage and he sort of said you know without his line manager's support he wouldn't be here and he could be screaming from the I'm directly quoting here screaming from the high heavens but if you haven't got a leader who's willing to listen where will it get you to and as you said Gwen hopefully this will sort of strike a chord in many manufacturers hearts to go actually we need to consider this so that people like Mo don't have to go scream from, you know, the top of their lungs to get things, you know, on a level playing field. I think it's also an important thing to note that companies won't be missing out on talent by their lack of facility and their lack of ability to accommodate people with differing needs. So I think that clearly Mo is bringing a lot to the business and it's great that they're able to um, accommodate his needs. So I think even from the any company's point of view, regardless of whether this is uh, regardless of the fact that this is clearly the right thing to do, they're also going to be um, opening themselves up to some really talented people. So that's good to see. Yeah. So one of the things that, that Mo pointed me to was the was that actually 80 um, percent of people with a disability acquire them later in life. And one of the things that he said to me was no manufacturer is ready for someone to have a life changing injury. You know, it doesn't have to be, um, it could be um, something to do with motor skills, it, you know, it, it could be eyesight or anything, you know, we need to be able to, 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 to cope with, with this, particularly if, you know, we've got that many people acquiring an injury later in, later in life, you know, um, but also, um, as you said, um, he's opening the doors to, to people that, you know, unfairly haven't been considered before when we're in a labor crisis, surely that's going to be, that's going to be a good thing. So that's, that's one of the, the stories that, that I wanted to, to highlight shall i continue shall i con shall i continue on my rant or would someone else like to step um, in i'd like to piggyback off of a factory visit to another factory visit actually so i visited ehl ingredients uh, earlier this year as part of uh, me and my factory series and it was the first of uh, our new look of me and my factory, where we've obviously transitioned to doing not only written pieces, but also uh, video. It's a Stockport-based business. 
they've been around since 1996 and they're an importer blender and distributor of spices uh, and flavorings and they invited me across to visit the sites um, and to meet their female um, predominantly female-led team so it was a great to see because we often hear that sometimes the food and drink industry can be a bit of a, a boys club and there's uh, sometimes there is criticism that there's not enough uh, opportunity for women to have leading roles within the food and drink industry so to see a majority of the senior management team being women was great to see um yeah everyone there f- was very eager and very happy to be working the place and they were also doing a great job of promoting women into roles and helping people to climb up the corporate ladder or within the business to to really show off their skills and to actually prove that they have what it takes to be in charge which is you know this should be the case regardless anyway but outside of that the great visit itself and i love visiting a factory it's one of the highlights of uh, of the job at the end of the day but it also is um really marks the sort of transition that we've been having towards focusing on more digital um products and and types of media that we focus on you know we have done video before but we've never done it in such a more focused really driven way so yeah it's a sort of two point a great story of a great business but also playing on to that you know new direction for food manufacture um that i've had a great and active part in in creating uh it's you know something that i really can say that you know this is my mark and this is what i've helped to build into the business and build into the the magazine so yeah i think that's just been a nice little personal story i think that really that's has been something a great highlight for me this year that's lovely that's a that's a we're being really quite sentimental aren't we this episode <laughs> should we talk about some dark things no i mean i literally <laughs> just wrote a story about nostalgic christmas things so i guess it's just in my blood at the moment <laughs> to be sentimental but no i agree that me and my team and going into the factories has been such a incredible experience to be able to go and 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 film and i think though that probably for me one of the um most painful memories was going into the bakery and it and it uh, of a different manufacturer and it smelled so good oh. and i couldn't eat anything <laughs> oh, no. because i'm gluten intolerant um but yeah it's it's been really really interesting to see um how everything's made and equally i know that will you visited um a uh r&d packaging facility recently and i i know you obviously it's not um uh, we're talking about ehl and, and that being sort of the first video version of me and my team but also we've had great opportunities to go into a wide range of facilities that have been really quite um fascinating um because obviously you know we are in a supply chain and it's it's incredible to see how everything's put together yeah i mean all the businesses that i've been to visit this year have been incredibly welcoming and and accommodating and for me it's been a great way to learn more about the industry and to to really go and see it happening right in front of your eyes uh rather than just sitting behind a desk and i think that's something that people in all industries probably missed out on during covid so it's really great to see that that's a big part of our job again and uh yeah meeting people in the industry has been has been a real opportunity to learn but also to you know create new relationships and i think uh, our content has uh, only been the better for it and uh 
Do you want to carry on telling us about what your I think it seems only fair that we carry on this sort of um, rotation. What's been sort of one of your key moments of the year? Yes, I think I'm going to start off with one of the first uh, features that I wrote for Food Manufacture, and that was looking at the um, aspartame ruling that came out of the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is uh, the cancer research arm of the World Health Organization. And they decided to change their classification of aspartame, which is an artificial sweetener that's used in a lot of uh, fizzy drinks. And uh, they reclassified it as possibly carcinogenic to humans. This review was conducted alongside a WHO Food and Agricultural Organization expert committee. It's a bit of a mouthful. Review. And they decided not to change their official guidance on it. But essentially it was found that there was limited evidence suggest that it could be potentially carcinogenic. JECFA, which is the, the organization I referenced uh, previously, they've decided that they still believe aspartame to be safe and the uh, acceptable daily intake guidance has not been adjusted as a result. But there are people uh, within the industry that have called for kind of some changes to be made by the way that we consume aspartame in fizzy drinks and also um, potentially to look at finding alternatives. This is a, a topic that has been quite divisive for a long time and it's not necessarily the first time that this research has been done into it or that this kind of conclusion has been come to. So really I think it's just interesting to see this kind of uh, topic rear its head again and it will be interesting to see if there is any change because reformulation happens all the time in the food and drink industry. We're continually looking at uh, new ingredients, continually researching, you know, the health ramifications of various ingredients. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess it was just a kind of a, a bit of a, a baptism of fire, really, going into one of these uh, quite divisive issues that's been, a, been around for quite a long time in the food and drink industry. You enjoyed it, though. <laughs> Certainly, it was it was really good, and uh, yeah, spoke to spoke to about eight or nine different people for for the story. So it was a, it was a learning experience for sure. Well, I think that brings you on nicely because you mentioned reformulation there, and one of the things that I saw at FIE, um, you know, we people were still talking about um, low sugar, more fiber, um, but what was really predominant was um and it was somewhat surprising to me was the appetite for um plant-based proteins so people were going we you know we need to get um we need to formulate so that we're having that high protein status but we need to do it with alternatives um you know rather than um dairy well animal let's say um you know dairy or meat um origin and that is kind of interesting and it's really telling of, of of what's happening in the sector because one of the big things that we we can't afford to not mention i think is the sheer amount of administrations we you know we just reported on one today uh will i think you wrote that story around heather mills's um own brand v bites entering administration but you know we've had over the course of this year companies like plant and bean meatless farm we're seeing i know meatless farm were rescued and i you know i i do wonder if v bites will be rescued as well um maybe by the time this goes out it, it will have been or or who knows but what we're seeing is a lot of consolidation within this market but what was evident at 
FIE was that there's still an appetite for plant-based. So manufacturers still think this is a worthwhile investment. And hopefully what the silver lining here will be, as we see the consolidation happening, we'll see actually higher quality products coming out of that, more innovations that actually speak to um, to the current market. And I think it's just, I think it's a really, really interesting thing. And it just, it just reminded me there when you said about reformulation, because it, it wasn't so much about about sugar it was it was very much about protein and that alternative protein this year i mean it's funny that you do bring it up because i um not quite as big as fie um but i did visit um a little show in the uk called uh, plant-based world europe and of well as the name suggests, um, the, the focus was plant-based. But there was also a focus on the no and low there as well, with uh, Stevia being touted as uh, the big next... I mean, it's been touted for a while as being the alternative to aspartame as the, the no-sugar um, sweetener. But um, there have been issues so far, especially with the bitterness and aftertaste of it. So there's been a lot of work being done on that sort of front to really create... Uh, you know, to extract the right part of um, stevia to you know produce a sweetener that doesn't have the bitter taste, and from all accounts, they seem to be doing a good job of it. I mean, I, you know, I was actually personally finding a more aftertaste from some of the pea protein products that people were putting out. Uh, some burgers where you initially they'd be quite nice, um, but then a couple of minutes later, you sort of had the back of your throat. It's almost like you've eaten just a tub of peas. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, but um, definitely, I mean, yeah, if you, if I, I mean, I wrote a story about my own observations from plant-based Europe, world Europe, and it was that, you know, plant-based proteins, meat alternatives still remain the king of products that people want or are actively developing. Yeah, I mean, if we look at, if we look at the demand, I'm not sure if it's the fact that the demand there doesn't exist, I think it's about just the equilibrium being found in the market. And I think this is the same with any new industry. Not every business that opens up is, is going to be successful. But I still have uh, confidence that there is a, a growing demand for these uh, meat alternatives. Um, and especially, I think, as we continue to kind of hear more and more about sustainability and the need to uh, make every area of our lives more sustainable. I think this will be continue to be an area of potential growth, but it's just about getting it right, getting the flavor right, and uh, and getting the, the kind of manufacturing process right so that it, it works for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And you sort of echoed something that was said to me at FIE, which was, and they used the uh, sort of comparison to um, electric cars. And they were sort of saying, you know, when a new innovation um, comes out everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon and innovate but as you said you know not everyone's gonna do it as well or as successfully and it's kind of I suppose finding the the strongest players in that market so there's you know we're going to see consolidation in in any market it doesn't mean that it's you know plant-based is dead I think as we said we're, we're going to see it um maybe you know carving its own much more of a its own niche next year if i may i know that i i nabbed one there but if i may interject and on a similar topic around um a moment i also enjoyed this year which is related um and it was ecotrophilia which is um the uh the competition around i mean as kind of the name suggests um it's a 
environmental based um, food or beverage product um, that the students create from um, kind of concept to, to finish product. It was the first time I've ever judged on it and it was incredible. I've never had so much fun and the UK um, winners were um, very well deserved um, plan eight and they set off to Anuga in Cologne in Germany earlier this year and they did really really well. We did a behind the scenes piece with them you know we followed them all the way from from the UK competitions um, abroad but the spotlight ultimately shone um, on, a, on a different team this year. It was actually the German team uh, that took the gold award for its fermented beverage uh, made from ground elder and nettle. But I, I had so much fun and it was incredible to see the sheer amount of talent because it was not an easy competition to judge. Um, you know, I, I can't say much about the judging process. <laughs> that will be a secret. Um, but all the products were amazing all the students were fantastic the amount of the level of detail that they go into you know from the marketing to the HACCP plans and you know to, to the taste of the the products is is incredible and i just wanted to give them a a big shout out so well done plan eat um for you know i think you were a real highlight for me in in 2023 i think that's also really uplifting for some people who maybe buy too much into the doom and gloom about young people coming into the food and drink industry i think there's still a huge amount of talent and interest there just needs to be nurtured and it needs to be given the opportunities like ecotrophilia to show off what they can do because i know that skill shortages exist and that's not to suggest that they don't but I think there is also a lot of talent coming through and it just needs to be shown that there are some positive opportunities in, in the food and drink manufacturing sector. Absolutely. I mean, we mentioned it, it was last month's podcast, some of the comments made during business leaders uh, regarding the need for the industry to really promote itself to young people, especially in school years and um, sort of uh, sort of secondary schoolers specifically. Yeah, we're, it's a time of their lives where they're being very railroaded to decide what they want to do for the rest of their lives. So it'd be nice if there was actually some representation for the food and drink industry, which is a nice segue. Um, skillfully pitched there by um, Will and caught by myself um, to talk about my sort of uh, other highlight of the year cheating a little bit because upon going back this was a story that i initially reported on uh, in november last year but and again it's a nostalgic first for me so our first podcast was uh, all about a essentially a video game called skills miner uh, developed by a company called ingenuity uh, engine as in from engineers they work with engineering uh, people in engineering um, to promote engineering skills, especially to young people. And they collaborated with a vertical farm called Farm Urban uh, to develop a game in which young people could play the role of someone running a vertical farm. Um, so it allows them to go in and they, the, the concept being that, um, especially Farm Ermen, they go into a city space and take an abandoned building or warehouse and then redevelop it into a vertical farm being, um, you know, you don't need the crop land or, or farmland, it's all done 
in a city and the game allows you to do just that you go from an abandoned warehouse you develop it into a farm and then you play as somebody running it doing the day-to-day actions how and and managing it and the whole point is to it's marketed at um year sevens year eights uh, sort of key stage three children to really give them an example of working in the food and drink industry but in a way that they would recognize as something that they would enjoy so it's not being forced down their throats they're playing it's all built within minecraft and if you don't know what minecraft is it is the best-selling game of all time allows you essentially more or less like with building blocks like lego but in a digital environment yes it's it's presenting food and drink in a way that is enjoyable and very accessible and easy to understand for these people for these children in a way that hasn't really been done before um and going back to the idea of and the, the thoughts that there's a skill gap it's an aging skill gap where once the current crop of skilled people especially in engineering um so there is a need to train up a new generation and it's things like skills minor um from ingenuity that are really presenting something that appeals to the younger generation that is online all the time that does play games you know they're not going to uh, some things will spark their imagination some people will like visits from people within the industry and that might spark the imagination for some people but presenting it in a way that's a simple compact experience for that's easy for them to understand i think that's a a, definitely a, a direction that's I think we should, or manufacturers or anyone in the food industry should really explore developing similar projects. And not just to say that this is, you know, that Ingenuity actually started with things like, um, you know, aerospace, uh, designing planes within Minecraft. There's lots of different ways that, you know, you don't have to use Minecraft, but it's a very easy tool for people to make food manufacturing experiences um, and, yeah, just reaching out to that generation that everyone says that they we need to, so here's a way that they can. I think it's also very, it's it's not just moving in the times of what people find um, engaging, but also the fact that we are living in a, techno, you know, a, a technology-based era and that these tools that um, we're using, you know, we'll start to see virtual reality, augmented reality come much more into play in factories. Um, I remember when I was in university, um, the obsession was um it was on it was a facebook app was on farmville i I joke right they're saying about farmville but one of the first jobs i ever wanted to do was be a farmer (laughs) because i loved animals right so i i definitely would have been very much a crop farmer and you know had a a collie or uh uh, around i I don't think i i could have faced i would have ended up naming all my pigs or something um but I am. Um, I think. I think a lot of we are digressing here, but I think a lot of people that go into farming, there's agricultural degrees, right? Um, but also, I think a lot of people, a lot of farmers, you see their, you know, generation whatever within a family, um, and uh, it is important. Just as as that is part of the food sector, I think you know it's always referred to as the agriculture and food sector, but it's for food sector. It's you know it, it is a part of processing, um, and it it, was, it is also facing uh, an issue of 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 um of labour um shortages as well. And you know if we don't have the farmers growing the crops, or you just what are you going to be manufacturing? Yeah. Nothing. Um, so it's really important that we're ensuring jobs within the entirety of of food um, and beverage are filled. 
it's a difficult one because I suppose that there is uh, some people who point to kind of uh, a lack of careers education at the school level and just maybe people not quite understanding the, the full breadth of, of opportunities that exist. Uh, potentially also the way and the focus uh, of schooling. So are children being given the skills that are required to do these other jobs? So it's a very kind of big picture issue, I think, for the entire food and drink manufacturing sector. Are they appealing to these young people in the right way? Are they showing them how kind of this role can match with their values and, and what they want to achieve? I think uh, we had a presentation at business leaders and it, and it said that maybe we need to stop assuming that we know what um, young people want and, and actually spend more time asking them what they want. So I think that it's going to take a, a big picture approach from the entire food and drink industry, inclu including agriculture as well, but also from policymakers uh, within education and, and kind of the wider government as well, because it's obviously something that we need to address moving forward because people need jobs and uh, we also need people to fill these jobs. So I think it's, uh, yeah, we need uh, that joined up approach. And that was a lot of what people at Business Leaders Forum were talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, go on, tell us what's your, your final um, key moment of 2023, Will? Yeah, so my final story is looking at pet food trends um, and what was really evident from speaking to businesses within the pet food space is this idea about the humanization of animals so increasingly owners want the same standards that are applied to the food that they eat to be applied to the food that they feed their pets so this is regarding sustainability this is regarding taste this is regarding health benefits and um, really when you look at it the food market alone for dogs in the UK is 1.6 billion and it's nearly 1.3 billion for cats. So there is a lot of opportunity there providing that you are getting products on the shelves that appeal to customers in that way that I just discussed. I think one thing that uh, animal nutritionist from Baneo was talking about is uh, different ingredients that are good for the gut health of animals. As more uh, animals are living longer, things like this are really important to consider because it can prevent them from being in pain in later life uh, and can keep them active for longer. Another interesting trend is meatly, which was formerly known as good dog food, is looking into using cultivated meat uh, to manufacture pet food. This is a really interesting development because obviously uh, the development of cultivated meat can have potentially huge ramifications for how humans consume, uh, consume meat. And it would make sense that while this idea about feeding cultivated meat to humans on a larger scale is, is kind of developing, we experiment with using that uh, in pet food. I think uh, some research that they cited suggested that 50% of uh, pet owners would consider serving their animals uh, cultivated meat, whereas only 32% said they would consider eating it themselves. So this would be definitely an interesting opportunity. Um, use, and use a little Fifi as a trial run. <laughs> well, I, I think cultivated meat is already uh, legal for sale in the US and Singapore. It's currently being looked at by the Food Standards Agency in the UK. And, um, you know, a lot of other countries as well are thinking about uh, legalizing it. So I think that Hopefully we will soon get to a point where it is widely considered to be safe and then it will potentially uh, make sense that pet food would 
come first in terms of making it kind of more widespread in its distribution. So overall, it makes sense to me that uh, concerns about sustainability, uh, concerns about tastes are transferring over to to pet food as well, because I think consumers have shown that these kind of concerns are becoming more and more important. Obviously, price is still a huge factor, but people are letting their values inform how they spend their money more than ever. And mm. it's no surprise that that applies to pet food as well. Would you eat cultivated meat yourself? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I've been a, a vegetarian uh, since I was at university. So I, I'm i not necessarily kind of desperate to eat meat, but if I was proven that there was this kind of sustainable way of producing meat that didn't require animals to be killed in the process, then I'd definitely be willing to give it a try. Yeah. I think I'd wait a year <laughs> and I mean, then eat it. Yeah. See, I'm very easy. I'll eat anything. Um, it, it doesn't, within reason, obviously, apart from peanuts and uh, certain other nuts. But I think that with cultivated meats, ultimately, if the product is cheap enough and tastes good enough, then is there, if we can produce it to scale at the same amount that we currently do with meat as it is, it really just makes it, well, what's the point of having farm animals at the end of the day because we've we've solved that age-old problem that yeah we can literally make because the way that most of these things is that you know they use bioreactors which literally pull stuff from the air and create food out of thin air in quoted quotation marks there so yeah i don't see if if it was presented to me as like here's an affordable option but you don't eat animal meat ever again it's like well sure that's fine by me yeah i don't see any issue with that yeah no i think i think it's a i think it's a great idea I think they'll, uh, in terms of um, the the sort of pictures that you see when you, you you type it in, it's all very much like in a test tube. It doesn't look very appealing. So that's you know, it's got to, it's definitely going to look like me, a, bi- right? a big thing at the moment is um, creating the structure for it because obviously if you just grow cells, it has a tendency of just growing in a flat piece of tissue. That's why they're developing things like three D printing, for example, to um, try and replicate the design of. You know, tendril, tendrils <laughs> of tendons in meat it does sound very sci-fi that <laughs> um i think as a final note before we conclude and i i can't end the podcast without saying this um is the uh the fmeas has also been a really great um a great moment for me this year it's been the first time I've been really really involved in in the judging and obviously we've had a new um load of categories added and a whole new judging process and Gwen you were involved in it as well um in terms of the people orientated awards having a um sort of a second stage um video interview with a panel it was such a great experience and I think you know um I think everyone really really enjoyed it and I'm I'm very excited for us to to, um, reveal the the winners um, at the awards next year, um, and then a final final note is just to say thank you to you two. You've been a lovely team. No, thank you as well, Beth. I mean, obviously, I've been I, as it goes. I'm the sort of long in the tooth for here, and I've been for a while. So it's great to uh, both of you joining this year has been a great revitalization, and uh, I think it's a good sign for going forwards um, for Food Man you know, into 2024. Yeah, I definitely echo that. I'm uh, looking forward to next year and uh, seeing what more we can do. 
and also I'm thankful for our listeners as well who are here on time every month. Can we put some really cheesy uh, sort of, you know, tin, like tinkly music underneath this? Oh, don't worry. There's going to be jingle bells underneath oh, the opening. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, all that's left to say is we wish you a happy holiday season. Um, be uh, joyful and merry and, uh, and we'll talk to you all next year. Thanks again for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye.